1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 to 9. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, one of the... Um skills that you have to uh, develop as a mature person or growing into maturity is uh, the skill of giving negative feedback. Perhaps you have to address a, uh, a person's poor behaviour or performance in the workplace or um, some inappropriateness of some kind that you have to comment on and, and give feedback to. And, uh, you know, there's different methods that we all have for doing that. And some people just do the whole conflict avoid, which is the worst possible method. But an old terrible strategy is called the compliment sandwich you might have heard of, which is goes something like this. It's something like, hi, I just wanted to let you know that I really appreciate how you are always early to work each day and ready to get involved. I just thought I'd mention um, that you've got terrible BO and it's really stinking out the office. And um, thanks for bringing the cakes each week for, for morning tea. You know, the problem with a, a kind of a, an approach like that, the compliment sandwich, is that, you know, everyone knows that the meat in the sandwich is the, 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 the middle point, that the, the compliments are just the bread. And so it kind of, you know, is not that helpful and it can be, it can put people off in, in, the, in the workplace and... You know, so there's a much, a much more uh, you know, effective approach called plussing, which uh, is the people at Pixar, the movie you know, animators, um, they coined this term plussing. Because if you've ever worked in a creative team, a collaboration, like a, a, a music group or a theatre group, you'll know that creative people are particularly sensitive to, to criticism and because it's, it's about who they are in their core and they can be very emotional people. I know this from playing in band. So you have to get really good at giving negative feedback. And the reason why Pixar want to do it is because they want to have the best movies and they say they want to get their movie from being suck to non-suck movies. So, so they've developed this kind of way of giving feedback called plussing, which is where you have to offer a suggestion. So you could have said, instead of the compliment sandwich to that person... Um, I think your natural approach to body odour isn't quite working. We can smell you across the other side of the office. Can I suggest you trying on this Rexona, which I've brought for you today? See, the thing about this is you've gone straight to the point. 
And uh, you've offered a solution, and I know it's kind of a comedic example, although probably there might be examples like this for people in the workplace. But um, what you're saying to the person and to the colleague is, I actually care about you, uh, and I care about getting our team right and, and trying my hardest to help you. I'm on your side here. I'm not just going to leave you in the, in the ditch. Well, this letter that we're about to begin in the New Testament from Paul to the church in Corinth is a long letter which aimed to address serious issues in their church. He will be rebuking them and pointing out some difficult truths to them. But ultimately what he wants to do is build them up. And that's what we're going to be looking at, the introduction to this letter this morning. See, he had the authority to speak to them this way because he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, it says in verse 1. You can see up on the screen. See, on the road to Damascus, Paul was met by the resurrected Jesus in a vision and God, through that vision, called him to ministry, especially uh, to the Gentile, the non-Jewish world. And so, as an apostle speaking to this church in Corinth, it's not just the opinions of a, of a person, but it's the opinions of, of God speaking through that person, that apostle. And as Paul brings this difficult rebuke and challenge to this church, he speaks, he adds a bit of salt and pepper to his authority, as you'll see in that first verse, because he, he has the respected, um, the, the Christian elder, uh, who was the head of the synagogue in Corinth, Sosthenes, who sort of signs on to the letter. It's kind of a way of saying, it's not just me saying this, guys, it's um, Sosthenes agreeing as well. You, you might see, you know, who, who is listening, who is reading this, um, this letter? Well, it's the church in Corinth. And, the, and the, what's gonna, what we're going to see are topics addressed specifically to them. This is a large happening church. You know, it's one of those, you know how you know in kind of in a city there'll be some churches that are big and strong and, 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 and lively. It's one of those kind of churches. But the letter is also for all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul knows when he's writing it that other churches will read this too. And, and also it's, it's comforting for us because we know that as we read it 2,000 years later that it's for us too. And that we read what Paul wrote to them and apply it to ourselves. I mean, they really did have issues to deal with. They, this is a church with huge issues. Let me list some of them for you. They had divisions in the community. They were, so they were clicky, following different personalities of leadership. They had uh, issues with authority and they questioned the, Paul the Apostle's leadership. Uh, many of them were snobs and uh, when they had church meals, the rich people hung out with each other and excluded the poor people. They lacked humility and felt entitled. Some often even were taking other Christians to court. And there was very little, if no, any church discipline, so people did and believed whatever they wanted. They were getting drunk during communion and shouting insults at each other. One of them was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Uh, the preachers were all talking at once and over the top of each other in the worship services. Some of the women were talking constantly to each other and, and not listening or paying attention during, during church. Some in the congregation believed that posh language mattered more than actually what was actually said. 
and, uh, you know, sort of highbrow religious talk. And there were some in the church who didn't even believe in the resurrection. They obsessed over the, the more showy spiritual gifts. So they wanted to be kind of prophetic and speak in tongues and heal people. And they, they want, everyone wanted to be like that, except they didn't actually show love towards each other as a church. So this was a church with lots of different kinds of issues. And if you were, um, you know, a Christian back in Corinth, back, or you moved to the town and you were looking for a church... I think you'd be questioning to yourself whether you'd want to even be part of this church if you knew all that list of things going on. You'd heard of their reputation, but then when you looked closely, you, you were like, wow, these guys have issues. Yet, Paul called them sanctified and holy. So this is a bit of a surprise as we read this intro in this letter. Knowing what we know about the church and what, what he's about to say and talk about in the, in the rest of the letter it sort of surprises us that he calls them this. In verse 2, which is on the screen, um, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So to be sanctified in the way Paul's talking about here is to be set apart by God, set aside to be holy. And they're sanctified because they are joined to Christ, not because of anything they've done, but because they are connected to Jesus Christ. They're not sanctified because of their own personal holiness. And they need to be reminded of that. God has called them to be his holy people, just as he has all Christians. They're not the only ones who've been called to be holy, who've been set apart, who've been sanctified. All Christians have been. And Paul's reminding them of that. To this messed up church who's set aside to be holy... Paul says to them, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God's mercy granted to all who put their trust in Jesus. That's what grace is. Grace is about God's favour given to those who don't deserve it. Grace is God's transforming power. Grace is God's faithful love. Peace with God and with others comes as a result of God's grace. And grace is why Paul's written this letter. He knows that while the Corinthian church are in a mess, God can sort them out. And you need to know that if you feel like you are in a mess right now, that God can sort you out too. So this is a hopeful letter. While it's challenging, it's a letter for messed up Christians. And maybe that's you. It's also, and mainly, for a messed up church. We all need God's grace, and he is offering that. And this is what Paul is putting his focus on for the, for the Corinthian church. Despite the many and varied problems he's going to have to address in this letter, he still is really thankful for them and, and for all that God has done in their church. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. God has shown his grace to them. The congregation have not been obedient, and yet God has exercised his grace. Paul says later on in the letter that God's grace came through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 6, verse 11, he writes, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 
God has been gracious to them. And the, the evidence of that uh, is that he's gifted them with so many different gifts of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 5. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony among Christ, about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So this really is an exciting and talented church with gifted leadership, gifted preachers, gifted musicians, gifted prayer warriors. They have people who speak prophetically and they really have a sense that God is moving amongst them and Paul can see that this is actually true and he's thankful for that. But unfortunately, we will find later in the letter that while they are gifted, they've got some weird ideas about their gifts and how to use them. Nevertheless, Paul is thankful because he knows that the grace that God has shown them will sustain them throughout their whole lives. Look at verse 8 and 9. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever ups and downs they might face as a church, God will remain faithful to them, he says. If we've been called by God himself to share in his son, Jesus Christ, then God will not abandon us or go back on his promises. He is faithful. Perhaps you've had people let you down in your life. Perhaps your ex-husband or ex-wife did not keep their marriage vows to you. They treated you poorly. They were abusive. They were unfaithful. Perhaps you've had friends who've betrayed you and turned their back on you. We've all experienced in different ways and in different levels of intensity what it's like to have another person be unfaithful towards us. And sometimes because of this, it can be hard to trust in God and his faithfulness. But I want you to know that God is faithful. He's not like just any old person he cannot deny himself he will keep his word and what Paul's showing to the Corinthian church here in these um, introductory words is that you know the church is God's responsibility he's committed to the building up of the body of Christ in another letter the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4 verse 2 he says yeah that he's committed to the building up of the body of Christ and in the old-fashioned King James translation it says He's committed to the perfecting of the saints. And the Corinthian church is going to have to hold on to this truth as they hear the hard words, the the criticisms from Paul, the challenges. They're going to have to hold on to the fact that God actually is faithful, even though they haven't been. In chapter 6, verse 6, he actually warns them and he will say, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in chapter 9, he will say to them, we're using a a famous sport metaphor, that um, the Christian life is like a race or or a boxing match, um, you know, where one gets a prize. So keep on running, you know, keep on fighting the fight, the good fight. The implication being if if you give up running or if you give up fighting in the boxing ring, you'll get knocked out or you won't finish the race. 
And in chapter 10, he warns them saying, don't be like the Israelites with Moses who were freed from the Egyptians, you know, through the Red Sea, but then they were turned their back on God and they didn't get to the promised land. Many of them died in the wilderness. Don't be like that. And so while this is all true, at the same time, it is true that it is only by God's grace that we are saved. And so the Corinthian church, in a, in a kind of fear and trembling sense, in a, humble way, in a humble way, have to hold on to these two truths. I'll just remind you what the two truths are. That on the one hand, lifelong obedience to Christ will enable us to finish, cross, cross the finish line and be able to live in eternity with Christ Jesus. But, the other, but the, on the other hand, we are only saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died in our place to take away our sin and give us eternal life. And, you know, Christian theology is often holding, these, holding tensions together and if, if one of the hands uh, is, is downplayed or if the tension is taken away, then the theology falls apart. We have to hold these two in perfect tension and see what happened with the, the church in Corinth. Is the first hand, the obedience hand, they downplayed and they had a kind of a cheap grace in this church. Well, I've got two applications for this intro for us. And here's the first one, which is that God's grace is still available for a messed up church. See, because of human sin and because of God's grace, you can have this phenomena where you can have a passionate and exciting church where where God is working powerfully and people are gifted and that is completely messed up in sin. And that is possible. You can have that. You sometimes hear this idea um, among some Christians, especially, and this is a wrong idea, you, you might hear it amongst certain types of Pentecostals or Charismatics and also churches that have been caught up in the holiness movement or this kind of heresy called sinless perfectionism, which I know some people in, this, in our church have been part of churches that have taught that heresy. And the heresy says something like this, that if everyone in the church is perfectly sinless then God is going to perform miracles and there's going to be a revival. That's, that's kind of the heresy. Um, and there's a few things wrong with this kind of thinking. First of all, it leads to, um, it will at least a kind of cult-like behaviour. But also, it's just a lie. Nobody is sinless and no church can be sinless. And secondly, God's grace and power is not dependent on our behaviour. It's not dependent on our human achievement and obedience. What this introduction to 1 Corinthians shows us is that God's grace and power can and still be can be active and can still be active even when the church is messed up in disobedience and sin. God is faithful even if we're not. Now, does this mean that we don't need to worry as a church about our obedience to God? Of course not. It totally matters. Because what is also true is that God can bring judgment to a church that has turned away from him. In the letters to the churches in Revelation, um, chapter 2, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus to repent of their sins uh, or else he'll take away their lampstand. And we don't know exactly what that means, but sort of what we think it means is he'll 
take away their status as a church. Perhaps some people have said, you know, God will, will remove his Holy Spirit from the church. We don't... Either way, it's something you don't want to have happen. Um, this, uh, this idea that the, that the church has turned their back on God to such an extent that God just says, well, I'll, I'll hand you over to your, to your own sin and I, I will... You know, you know, their hearts are so hardened that God hands them over to their hard hearts. So while God's grace can move powerfully in a messed up church, it's also true that sometimes God steps back from a church that has completely turned their back on him. And you, you might have seen churches around in Melbourne. There are lots of them where, where you walk in and it feels like that's what's happened. The church has abandoned God in making up their own doctrine and having no sort of standards of, of um, obedience. So for us as a church, we need to realise that our obedience to God and faithfulness to God does matter, although his grace is free, even if we're messed up. We need to keep each other accountable. We need to challenge each other to faithfulness. No church is perfect, but some churches can get themselves into major trouble. Let's not be like that. Grace is grace because it is undeserved. And let's always give thanks to the grace that God has given us in our church. His, we are his imperfect people. We don't deserve it. And at the same, same time, I seek to, as a group, as a, as a congregation, live faithfully and spur each other on to faithfulness. Well, the second application is kind of the natural follow-up from that, which is God's grace is still available to a messed-up person. Perhaps you're struggling with this sin or that sin. Perhaps you are really in the mess of sin. Well, what Paul shows us from this passage is that even if that's true, um, and that's quite a common thing for Christians, nevertheless... Your true status before God is that you are sanctified. If you have said yes to Jesus, you are joined to him and you are set apart and holy before him because of Jesus, even though you are at the moment messed up in sin. And the Christian life involves grappling with this reality that we're not in heaven yet and so we will still struggle with sin. If you're this Christian who's really caught up in some sort of sin at the moment, you need to know that God's grace is available to you and that he has options for you. He has a pathway out of your situation for you. You're probably feeling some kind of what psychologists call cognitive dissonance, if this is you. That's where one part of your brain goes, I'm a Christian and I know I should be living a certain way. And the other part of your brain goes, I'm completely not living in the way that um, I'm presenting to my Christian brothers and sisters. I've, I've got this dark secret life. And that causes your brain to kind of experience dissonance, a clash inside your brain. Well, the good news is while that cognitive dissonance might be unbearable for you, God can actually handle it. He's, he's bigger than you. And he doesn't like it, but he, he looks at you and he says, I, my grace is here for you. I love you as my child. God is still working in your life. And you need to know that. And evidence of that is that right now, this morning, you're watching this live feed 
You've, you've bothered to turn on and tune into Facebook Live. And that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you need to hold on to that and be thankful for that and, hold, you know, and, and, uh, and respond to that truth. God has not abandoned you. The real trouble comes for the follower of Jesus when they stop rocking up to church, when they disconnect themselves from Christian community and from Christian teaching. That's where the real trouble lies. If you are in a mess, God has options for you. You can experience healing and freedom from your sin. And the first step is to tell someone, uh, another Christian brother or sister, get it out in the open and get help. Say sorry to God for your sins, knowing that he has already forgiven you. And as we go through this letter together, you'll see Paul showing the Corinthian church how God handles their mess and what options he gives them. He provides them a pathway out. He's, he's going to point uh, us, as he pointed them, to options like the accountability of a Christian community, a healthy Christian community. He will point us to the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to point us ultimately to um, the day that will come one day when Jesus returns and we will receive our resurrection bodies and no longer struggle with sin anymore. Where we will be, we will be free from all corruption and decay. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this book of uh, this first letter to the Corinthian church and that it's in the Bible for us and that is challenging, but it's so practical, and um, we pray that it, it, it is going to bring, um, bring, draw us closer to you. And we pray for anybody wat watching this morning um, who uh, is a Christian but caught up in a mess of, of, of sin, um, that you will set them free and that um, they will have the strength to um, come forward and, and tell someone and get help and experience your grace and joy. Amen.